this is Stephanie Fay, and this is season two. Thanks for joining. What does a viral video and a stampede of animals have in common? It has to do with something called positive feedback. And we're going to take a look at how this mechanism can actually lead to some of our levels of anxiety and stress and negative thinking. So that's what we're going to cover in today's episode. So first of all, let's just think about what feedback is. I'm not going to go too in-depth into this because I would like to touch on this in a future episode. I think the concept of feedback is very important. But first, let's return to our earlier episodes where we are talking about this idea of complexity and dynamic change and emergence and systems. So it's important for us to think about when we talk about feedback, that includes this idea that there is something that is fed out, so an output, and something that comes back into a system that's fed in, so an input, that it is not a simple mechanism when we're talking about humans or the brain or animal behavior, biology, economic systems, social network systems. It's not a simple replication of A comes into the system and then B is fed out. It's not, it's not that simple. There's a lot more that goes on. So there's obviously a lot of processing and interpretation and different mechanisms that go on within the system that we're talking about where there is this input and output. But the very basic idea is that something is projected out and something is ingested or detected and entered into the system. And there is some type of cycle that gets created of this input and output. So that's a very basic idea of feedback. When we're talking about positive feedback, it is a mechanism where let's just simplify it to this idea of A and B, but with the understanding that we know that it's much more complex than that, where A produces more of B, and I'll give you some examples, and then B then in turn produces more of A. So another way to talk about positive feedback is that it enhances or amplifies an effect, or we could say exacerbates if it's a perturbance or a change. And another way to put it is it's self-reinforcing. So a very simple example of this is audio feedback, where a microphone picks up the sounds from its own loudspeakers and then amplifies that sound and feeds that amplified sound back to the loudspeakers. So it just gets more and more amplified. Another example is contractions during childbirth. So when the head of the fetus pushes against the cervix, a nerve signal sends this information up to the brain, which then leads to a release of oxytocin, which then leads to more contractions, which means that the head of the fetus continues to push on the cervix. And this leads to more amplified and more frequent contractions until the moment of childbirth. Another example is something called the network effect. So when more and more people are encouraged to like or share a video, this increases the reach, or let's go with a video, for example. This is in the case of a viral video, but this could be a post or whatever, that as more and more people are encouraged to share or like, 
the more shares and likes this video gets, the more extensive and expansive the network becomes, which then increases the number of shares and likes it gets until the point where it just gets more and more amplified, just reaches more and more and more people. And returning to what I said in the beginning, the stampede effect in animals is also where this can happen, where a certain vigilant type of movement, a jerk kind of movement or fast running in one animal can lead to another animal nearby also starting to run very quickly. And then as more and more animals see this running behavior, more and more of them start running until you have a stampede. So those are examples of positive feedback. And as you can see, it's not positive as in a value judgment. It's positive in the sense of it amplifies or enhances or augments or self-reinforces. In contrast, a negative feedback, again, is not a value judgment. It's not good or bad. A negative feedback is when something is fed back into the system in a way that reduces the effects of the change or perturbation that happens. So negative feedback usually has a settling effect that can return a system back to equilibrium or homeostasis. So another way we could maybe call it is self-correcting or balancing. And an example in the body, the body has many of these because the body, the brain, mind, brain, body system is a self-regulating system. Hormone production and glucose levels would be good examples of that. When they reach a certain level, there are sensors that signal this to the brain to stop production of that particular hormone or glucose levels. Obviously, when this goes wrong and the feedback is not working properly, that is when we can have problems like diabetes. So those are examples of positive and negative feedback loops or mechanisms. Let's bring this back to a personal level. So this is more my view of this based on different understandings of the challenges we have in terms of the amount of noise and thinking and negative chatter we have. And when I'm talking about negative in this sense, I am talking about it from a value judgment place, meaning negative in the sense of maladaptive, dysfunctional, something that causes us challenges in our life that impede us from our goals. So a lot of what I see in terms of anxiety and depression are related to this concept of a positive feedback loop. I'm going to give you first a kind of funny example from a friend, and this was when they were younger. They were lying in bed one night and they thought they were hearing footsteps and this caused them to feel very afraid. And so as they felt afraid, they noticed that the footsteps were getting faster and faster. And this made them more and more afraid and the footsteps kept getting faster and faster. What they realized, they lifted their head from the pillow for a moment and the footsteps stopped. And when they put their head back down, the footsteps came back. And what they realized was putting the pressure on their ear was allowing them to hear basically the blood pumping And this was related to their heart rate and how fast it was going. So this is a kind of funny example of this idea of this positive feedback where a sound that sounded like footsteps, which was the sound of their own heart, led them to have a anxious or fearful response, which led to their heart beating faster and faster, which then led them to have more of a fright response to this. 
So what's interesting about that example is that that's actually something we do see in anxiety, in certain cases of anxiety, where there is a hyper-awareness of interoception. So even, for example, a hyper-awareness of heart rate. And they've done different studies on this, where when there is almost too much sensitivity to what the heartbeat is doing, what the heart is doing, the rhythm of it and and even digestive things and just certain fluctuations that are happening within the body. When there's a hyper awareness of this, this can lead to a lot of anxious thinking. And part of this is because of how it gets interpreted. And, you know, let's go back to the first, even just episode two of the season, how much of this interpretation is going to be based on our first experiences often in our environment, how much stress and anxiety is related to different things, the reactions from our caregivers, those micro signals from everybody around us. So a lot of the interpretations of different things that happen inside of our body can be related to the paradigms and the mindsets and the neural associations we have that have been built up over time. So if we had caregivers who were very anxious and stressed, particularly about health, but really about lots of different things, that could lead us to have a more likely deficit-based type of thinking in regards to what our body is doing. And there have been other studies about this too. I believe Kelly McGonigal has done some research on this, and there is another study, and I will list that in the episode notes, where the interpretation of stress seems to have a pretty big effect on people's health. More than the actual stressful events, it's a person's interpretation of stress. Whether they see it as something that is helpful, and it's actually the different stress responses like an increased heart rate or things happening in our digestive system, those kinds of fluctuations and mechanisms when we interpret that as something that is adaptive that our body is doing, that has a balancing effect on what's happening, as opposed to when we see one of those fluctuations or those mechanisms of our body as something that's wrong, that our body is doing wrong. And another good example of this is from Lawrence Gonzalez, who wrote the book Surviving Survival, as well as Deep Survival. And he talks about actually in a podcast episode from the Santa Fe Institute, where he thinks that when we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, that we really should remove the word disorder because when a traumatic event has happened, the response, that post-traumatic response is a way that the body is adapting and responding to this event. And it isn't a disorder. And when we interpret it that way, we're saying that the body is doing something wrong, but it is not doing something wrong. It is doing something very much in accordance with what it is designed to do physiologically as a self-regulating system. We need to figure out how to integrate that and work with what has happened and what the body is doing as its adaptive regulating mechanism to help us survive and function adaptively in our life. So rather than interpret what the body does as a dysfunction or disorder, we can look at how to work with what the body does and see that as its adaptive response and figure out how to build off of that. Another example that I see would be in depression, where in some cases there is an awareness of fatigue or lack of energy, lack of doing things. And this then leads the person to have more thoughts about what they have not done, how they are fatigued, 
And then there is more of this thinking of what is wrong with them and why don't they have more energy, which then leads them to do less things and not want to get out of bed, not want to get off the couch, which then continues this feedback cycle of not having the energy, thinking about why they don't, what's wrong with them, and then continuously not having the energy to get up out of bed. And what's happening in all these scenarios is that it can lead to a line of questioning, both within the person, but also within the support networks. So I think that a lot of therapy, psychotherapy, psychoanalysis, as well as doctors and families and caregivers, there can be a line of questioning that starts to happen that I think also contributes to this feedback loop where the question becomes, what's wrong? What's wrong with that person? And this, in a way, actually trains our our mind-brain body to search for what's wrong. When we ask that question, the mind-brain body will look for more evidence of what's wrong. And this just leads to more firing of the networks that are associated with the signals and the memories and what it considers evidence, just the associations, the associations of what has been wrong in the past, what will go wrong in the future, what is wrong in the current moment. And so this continues to just amplify these circuits until it can get to the point of shutdown. And that's what we often see in positive feedback cycles is there is a systems thinking leader named Donella Meadows who talks about that it's very rare to find positive feedback systems that perpetuate because eventually there is a collapse of the system. And so even if we're talking about this idea of depression, anxiety, these types of positive feedback loops, I think, can lead to such amplified negative what's wrong kind of thinking, what's wrong with me, what's wrong, interpretation of what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, wrong, to the point that the person becomes completely overwhelmed with this and there is a a shutdown or a breakdown. And even just on a more regular cycle, just a collapse into sleep. And so there's a lot of sleeping involved in a lot of these conditions because it's just an overwhelm of the system. Because remember that the thoughts of what's wrong and the interpretation of this is, there's something wrong with me, this is wrong with my body, my body shouldn't be doing this, this shouldn't be happening, that that also releases cortisol. And cortisol then is constantly running through the bloodstream, which is a hormone that is not really supposed to be running through our system at all times. So there's just a collapse of these systems, a collapse of the person in this overwhelm. So let's think about what we can do about this. And one of the first things to be thinking about as we look for ways to create a balancing effect, a balancing or self-correcting type of feedback to help us get out of some of these circuits that continue to amplify the critical what's wrong deficit type of thinking and interpretation of things that are going on in our lives and the signals that our bodies are sending, et cetera, et cetera. How I want want to lead into what these self-correcting mechanisms can be is to look at two key patterns that happen in a lot of this type of anxiety type of thinking and also the depression where there's just this amplified type of thinking and noise and chatter that just continues to get us to think something's wrong, which then leads us to not want to do new behaviors or create more healthy habits, et cetera, et cetera. So the two key patterns of what's happening are on the one hand, 
And like I've just mentioned, there is this questioning of what's wrong. So there is a interpretation or a processing that's happening within the mind-brain body that is deficit-based or defective-based. So looking at what is defective in this, what is defective about me, what is defective about the situation, about the body, about whatever that is. And then the other underlying pattern is that it's about me. So self-referencing. So what what I want to mention about this, and I believe I'll go more in depth into this in another episode as well, but I've talked about this in my a couple of YouTube videos as well. And also in my masterclass, we really go into this, but something I call the me, me, me network. And it is associated with something called the default mode network. I'm going to stick with just my phrasing for this for a couple of reasons. So the default mode network, let me just briefly say something about that. It's something that was discovered in different experiments where they were seeing something happen in the brain where it almost went on idle. So whenever the person was not engaged in a particular task, as soon as the task was over, it's like their brain kind of went back to its default mode, this humming kind of in the background type of mode, which they have now called the default mode network. And it's a few different areas of the brain that are particularly linked and they are their own little feedback loop in a sense. It's its own little system and it's very self-referencing. So that's the key word for me in that. It's self-referencing has to do with the, the narrative, the autobiography of the person, the past, the future, analyzing emotions and things like that. I'm going to just go with this idea of the me, me, me network, partly because I'm also not going to be too caught up in the specific regions of the brain that are associated. I think that we have a very naive understanding of the brain. So I don't like to get too caught up in what particular regions, because I think everything is all connected. And like I mentioned in episode one and two, this is a mind brain body system. So I think the body is very, very associated with all of this. So the micro signals and the sensors and the, the small movement of the body, all of these things are also associated. So the me, me, me network, if you think about it, we all are going to have a a network of the brain that is so dominated by self-referencing because basically from the moment we open our eyes out of the womb and all of our senses are engaged, even if we're not talking about the eyes, our ears, our skin, everything that is engaged in terms of our senses when we leave, even when we're in the womb, but let's just talk about when we come out of the womb, is how does this stimulus, what is it in reference to? me. So how does this sensation of this trigger, let's say, me getting more food? Or how does this relate to the temperature of my body? And, you know, so that's all a survival thing. How do I regulate my temperature? And in the beginning, a lot of this has to do with actually through our caregivers, a co-regulating mechanism. So, so much of our brain's networks and circuitry is going to be devoted to me. How far away are you from me? That's the most relevant information. What is your reaction to me? Anything that relates to me is going to be the most important information in almost literally every scenario we can think of, right? Because me, my mind, brain, body is a system designed to regulate and maintain my survival and my homeostasis and my projection into the future. So everything is going to be really devoted to what it is in reference to me. So it's a self-referencing system. So we're not going to get around that. That's the most important information for us. 
The tricky part is that because so much of our brain circuitry is devoted to me, the me, me, me network, it can almost be hyperactive to the point where even when it would be very helpful for us to be engaged in something else, like listening to that person or just experiencing the moment or experiencing something new in our external environment, the me, me, me network is so running all the time that that circuitry may be even just dominating our experience. And this is part of what we are seeing in research related to that default mode network, that in depression and anxiety, for example, So technically the default mode network, and I'm going to just keep calling it the me, me, me network. The me, me, me network is supposed to quiet down when we are engaged in something called task positive activity. So just activity where we are engaged in some sort of task. In those scenarios that me, me, me network is supposed to quiet down in terms of how much signaling is happening across that region. But what we're seeing in depression anxiety is that the me, me, me network is continuing to fire at very active rates, even when the person is engaged in that task positive activity. And I talked about this in one of my YouTube videos that I can see it in people's eyes, even as they walk down the street, that instead of engaging in the external world, it's like they're not there. And you can kind of tell when they're back into the me, me, me network. And you've probably experienced this for yourself. Maybe you have a book in front of you or something in front of you that you're supposed to be reading and you have to read it five times in a row because you were lost in thought. What is that thought usually about? It's generally about you. Might be about another person, but in relation to you, how they reacted to you or what it means for you, right? So even if we think we're thinking about something else, it's almost always in reference to us and it relates to us because that's just the most important information for us. So if we look at the pattern of these two feedback cycles in our brain, how things just continue and continue and they they can get more and more amplified, we have the pattern of what's wrong and we have the pattern of me. So with me or about me or the self-referencing part. So if we want to try and create a balancing effect on this, so this idea of negative feedback to quiet down these networks we're not going to get rid of these networks. They're important. And we don't want to get rid of a network that thinks about what's wrong because that's important information sometimes. And obviously we don't want to completely quiet the network that has to do with me, the self-referencing, because that's obviously very important. But we want to bring it down back to just a more balanced level. So that will be that idea of negative feedback. What we can do is look at introducing some input that on the one hand is about what's right. And on the other hand is not me. So let's look at what's right. This is some input we can put in to regulate the what's wrong networks. So two sub-levels of that will be what's right, thinking about something external. So this is where you've probably heard about gratitude and gratitude practices. This is my interpretation of why it is so powerful. It is something I do in my life every single night. I have a journal that I devote to what I love about the moment and what I love about what happened in the day, just things like that. So I don't use the words I'm grateful for. I use the words I love this about this. And it's something that I do on a very regular basis. And I even do it a little extra if I'm going through some extra challenges in my life. 
So we can think about introducing input about what's right. And one way to start is just with the external environment. So this can be something you do in the morning or at night that you can even start with something very simple that you kind of know you won't necessarily argue with. Because if we jump to right away trying to be grateful about me or what I love about me, for example, if that what's wrong with me network is so dominating and very fired up, it might be hard to jump into a different loop right away. But if you're in bed, for example, it probably is hard for you to argue with that your sheets are likely kind of soft. You might like your pillow. Maybe there is just a soft light that's in the room or a soft sound. Maybe the temperature of the room is nice. So if you can pick some things that you there won't be too much resistance to right away, that is a way of introducing some input into that system that just activates circuits that look for what's right. And what I find is that if I start with those simple ones, and I usually I usually use something very similar, like my covers and the lighting and the sound and the temperature, it starts to fire up the networks of what's right. What's right in this moment, in this very moment, what's right. Because the other aspect is oftentimes when we're thinking about something that's wrong about our life, about whatever's happening, it's usually not that exact moment that it's happening. Because usually when there is an actual threatening challenge to our life, in the actual moment, all of our resources are being used to do something about it, which is actually less stressful because we are taking action in that moment. It's when we are literally just in our bed or on a chair or watching TV or whatever that is, and we create, we start firing up the networks about what's wrong in a future possible moment. That's where the anxiety is getting produced because we can't take action in that moment because it's not happening yet. We're literally sitting in a chair. So finding what's right in this precise moment is how you introduce some of that feedback to balance or to basically have the, the networks fire in a new way. And so that is one aspect of what's right. And then one thing you can start to do once you fired up some of those networks, if you want to add it, I don't always add this. I sometimes do just what's right in this moment and that's enough, but you can add what's right with me. So you can add some more thinking of different examples of what did go well for you that day or what features or traits are working well for you in this moment. So those are some examples of how to activate other circuits that can pull some of that electrochemical activity away from the what's wrong networks. Now, in terms of firing up some networks that pull some of the energy and electrochemical activity away from the me, me, me network, the idea is to think about not me. So if you were to even try and draw a diagram of how many circuits are firing, how many networks are activated that are related to me, 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 you could draw these very strongly, brightly colored clusters of me, 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 (laughs) because everything is related to me. So what we want to do if we want to try and diffuse some of this and not have it so constantly amplifying and self-reinforcing and continuing, continuing, continuing is to try to diffuse that activity to be outside of the me, me, me network. And the way you're going to do that is to think about not me. So a couple of examples of how you can activate the not me network is once again, something in the external environment. So what is right about the situation, whether it's just something that you're looking at, a texture, a smell, a sight, all of those things that are your external environment. 
That is one way to do that. One thing that can help is if you are sitting in a particular position and you're lost in thought, then a good way to get out of that network is to change the position and change the environment because that will immediately just activate your senses to pay attention to something that is not what you're currently doing. So to change the motor movement, and I mentioned that in the last episode, and just the environment. So that can be to go into a different room, to go outside, something like that. So that's one thing you can think about. But the other part is in thinking about not me, activating the not me network, is to think about others. And so there is a particular type of compassion meditation that I have practiced in, and there is a fair amount of research. Richard Davidson has done some research on this. And it is this compassion meditation that has to do with almost these concentric circles out. So you do start with thinking about that, may I be free of suffering? May I feel peace and well-being? You then think about the people in your closest networks, your family and friends, that they may be free of suffering, that they may feel peace and joy and contentment and well-being. Then thinking about your community, your country, the planet, and then all living beings, that may all living beings be free of suffering and may they feel peace and joy. And what they have seen in some of this research is that when people practice this particular type of loving kindness, compassion meditation, that there is a increase in a particular kind of brainwave called the gamma brainwave, which is associated with aha moments. And they see that in some of the practitioners of this who are very well versed in this type of meditation, that this type of gamma brainwave activity can last for several hours afterwards, where there's just this increase of this activity. And my understanding of that is that you are, so a gamma brainwave is often associated with far-flung networks connecting for the first time. So not networks that usually fire together, but far-flung ones that don't usually fire together all of a sudden do. And so it would make sense that if you let go of or activate outside of that me, me, me network, you're activating circuits that don't usually fire. And so you're just creating that diffused activity, that diverse kind of circuitry that's happening. So I do this, do that kind of meditation or just simply thinking about other people in my life. And then I often go into a bigger, wider community of the planet. And how we can even start to integrate this is, this is the other part of the work that I've done for many years. And I find that it's really powerful is this idea of self-transcendent purpose. I talked about this in episode four in season one as well, but self-transcendent purpose is the idea that we think about what we are doing in our life and how it serves something bigger than us. And it usually has to do with other people or community or the planet or some just something that's not us. And I find that the research would also, there's research by Angela Duckworth and David Yeager on self-transcendent purpose, that it can help people persevere in their goals. I know that for me, when I'm thinking about the larger purpose I'm serving, which also kind of goes back to the earlier episodes in this season of what the your function is. If you can think about what you are doing in this moment right now, and it doesn't have to be something lofty, it doesn't even have to be about your job or anything like that. But if you can even think about even just one particular person who you know is generally pretty happy to see you, (laughs) who you know that just by you being with them, they feel good. That is a self-transcendent purpose that you are bringing into the world. So even if you don't have a big lofty goal or lofty idea of what a purpose is, there is likely one person or even animal or something, even a plant, anything like that, that benefits from your presence, that benefits from your existence. If you can tap into that, 
You're actually integrating me and what's right with me and a not me type of firing, signal firing. So you're integrating something that is strength-based and not deficit-based about you and something that's not particularly about you, which is going to just help loosen up in a way or diffuse, diversify some of that circuitry that's generally over-firing in us. So a quick summary of this episode, we talked about the idea of positive feedback and that it's actually just the self-reinforcing or amplifying or enhancing kind of feedback. And it generally can lead to a lot of instability or overwhelm of a system because it just keeps amplifying and amplifying. Negative feedback is more of the self-correcting or balancing feedback that can help bring a system back to equilibrium. And in a lot of what we see as our anxious thinking, even depressed type of thinking, we are very consumed by two particular patterns, which is what's wrong and the me, me, me networks. And so if we can try to add some input into our brain activations, our mind, brain, body activations about what's right in this moment and with me, and then not me networks. So how does my existence benefit somebody or something else. If we can add some of that input into our system, that can help activate new circuits and bring some balance into those very overfiring what's wrong and me, me, me networks. So I hope you found some of that helpful. Thank you for joining me. And if you have any questions, you can email them to info at com, And you can also check out my website, I have lots of articles on there and information about masterclasses and things like that. So you can do the shortened version and just go to stephaniefay.com and it'll lead you there. Thank you so much for joining me.